Well, good morning and welcome back to our study of Mark. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, or uh, if you're new to the Bible, uh, Mark is one of four accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in the scriptures. Uh, it's probably about three-fourths of the way through the Bible, um, or you can look it up in the table of contents at the front of your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, first we'd like to point you to the Bible tab just below this video that you can click on at any time. But, uh, more important than that, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give one to you as our gift to you. Uh, if you will reach out to us at office at santacruzbaptist.com, uh, we would love to get you a Bible. Um, it, it's something that we value and we'd love for you to have a copy of your own uh, that you can read and mark up and write in and take notes in. So, uh, reach out, office at santacruzbaptist.com and we'd love to get one to you. Today, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. Last week, we saw Jesus shift gears a little bit and begin to teach through the medium of parable. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw that Jesus is either Lord, lunatic, or liar. That is absolutely true. But on top of being the Son of God and Lord of the universe, Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever walked on the face of the earth. Uh, not just because he was truth and, and that everything that he said was truth, uh, his content was flawless, but he was also a master teacher by style. Um, you see even others around him saying that no man has ever taught the way that he does. Uh, others, even his enemies, said that he teaches as one who has authority. What did they mean by that? Uh, the literal meaning of the word authority there is that he taught with substance. Uh, Jesus didn't teach fluff. Even his enemies are saying that he teaches substantively. It's not superficial. It carries weight. Well, one of the methods Jesus used to teach was that of parable. And this wasn't unique to Jesus. Certainly, there was a tradition of the Pharisees and rabbis before Jesus to use parables. But the way that they did it was different. Uh, R.C. Sproul notes that rabbis and Pharisees used parables to illustrate the Old Testament. In other words, to take something that had already been revealed and explain it. Jesus, on the other hand, used parables to give new revelation, to teach things that were previously unknown. Also, important to note, you won't find a parable in the New Testament outside of the Gospels. They're rare even in the Old Testament too. But one of the most famous parables in the Old Testament is the one when Nathan the prophet speaks to King David. He tells David a parable of a rich man who mistreats a poor man by taking his only sheep. To which David responds, essentially saying, Not in my kingdom! Find that man! He deserves death! 
You know the story well. Nathan then responds, David, you're the man. He was illustrating David's sin with Bathsheba through the use of parable. Parables uh, often function to help simplify and clarify what's being said so that people can understand. And more importantly, so that they can really hear. Tyler gave us a great definition of parable last week. And as we saw in that text, there's another use of parable. Jesus told the parable last week in verses 1 through 20 of the sower. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Sometimes Jesus uses parable in a way that people audibly hear it, but don't really hear it or get it, and others do. He's using parable to give those who hear or get it a deeper understanding. Tyler explained why some hear and some don't through the lens of Isaiah 6. That was really, really helpful. There's many different themes in Jesus' parables. But one of the most common themes is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to see in today's text. Jesus wants those who are able to hear it to clearly understand the mystery of his kingdom. So again this week, we get to see Jesus giving us three short parables that help solidify how his kingdom works. So let's dive into the text. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the words to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. 
Our three points this week will coincide with the three parables that Jesus gives. Point number one, the lamp. Point number two, the growing seed. And point number three, the mustard seed. So point number one, the lamp. Look with me again, starting in verses 21 and 22. And Jesus, or and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. From the beginning here, I want to draw our attention to the word lamp. Uh, it's important for us to understand that, that the word lamp in the Greek text actually has the definite article with it. Uh, in other words, a better translation would be the lamp, not a lamp. <laughs> I love uh, when NFL players are introducing themselves at the beginning of games, telling you what university they went to. The Ohio State University, or the University of Miami. They're not talking about any random school. They, they want you to know that they're talking about a big-time school. Jesus here isn't talking about just any old lamp. He's talking about himself. The lamp. In a biblical understanding, the lamp is God himself, and particularly God's word. I think of thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the lamp. So, what's his point? Well, his point is... He and his word aren't meant to be hidden. The truth about Jesus is meant to be made known to the world. Now, in verse 22, he's saying, Yes, there are things about me right now that are hidden. For those who have ears to hear, it's not time for me to be crucified yet. But the lamp will be manifested fully. Nothing will be hidden or secret. If you're into conspiracy theories, you always hear about these secret societies that, that remain shrouded in mystery for generations and, and even centuries. Not here. Jesus wants us to understand this clearly. Lamps aren't made to be covered. They're made to be put on stands. Jesus came to shine into the darkness. He came for all to see. And look at what he says next. Verses 23 through 25. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Essentially, he's saying, are you listening? 
How are you paying attention to what I'm saying? Hearing and considering the importance of what we're hearing is essential to Christian faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Or Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. Paul says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Hearing is vital to faith. Pay attention to what you hear. But with that hearing comes responsibility. Do you see that? Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples and to us. For those of you who are Christians, you've heard. You've come to faith by, by hearing and by repenting and believing in Jesus. The lamp has been lit. The question is, will you eclipse the light of Christ? Will you hide it or will you let it shine? Jesus has commanded us to take what we've heard and believed and to tell others through our actions and most importantly, through our words. I love seeing this exact progression take place in 1 John 1. 1 John 1 verses 1 through 4 says this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. They heard, they saw, and they proclaimed joy. That's how the kingdom grows. Proclaiming Christ isn't about guilt. It's about joy. When you share Jesus with someone, it's a joyful experience because you're giving them something true and good and beautiful. You're giving them something eternal. Now, in case we misheard Jesus and assumed that it's all on us, he follows with another parable. Point two, the growing seed. Look at verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So, 
Let's follow the teaching there. We're called not to hoard or to hide the light, but to make him known. How do we do that? Through scattering seed. What seed? Well, we learned this last week, verse 14. The seed is the word of God. Side note, who scatters seed or sows the word of God in the kingdom? Who does that? It's so tempting for us to say, well, pastors or preachers are the ones who sow the word. But I want to draw our attention to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is just after Stephen is killed for his faith. Acts chapter 8, 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Do you see that? The text goes out of the way to tell us in verse 1 that all were scattered except... The apostles, the professionals, weren't scattered, but everyone else was common, everyday, normal Christians. And what did they do? Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. If you are a Christian, you are called to scatter seed or the word of God, so that a lamp will be put on a stand. Now, back to our text. The seed is scattered. Then, verse 27, he sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. <laughs> Did you see that? Do you see what Jesus did? Again, he's such a phenomenal teacher. You, Christian, have a God-given responsibility to scatter seed and to put the lamp on the stand. But who's responsible for making that seed grow? Not the sower. <laughs> he sleeps and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. This is kingdom stuff here. God's kingdom sprouts and grows, not by man's power, but by God's. Yes, he, he uses us as his means. We're the, the conduit through which he works. But we're not sovereign over salvation. Isn't that refreshing? You're called to share God's word. God is the one who will grow it. That's 1 Corinthians 3, right? I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. 
Further, Jesus wants you and I to know that it's a process, sometimes a slow one. We'll get to this more in Jesus' third parable, but look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Again, notice it's not the man or the sower who's doing the producing. It's the earth. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. If any of you have gardens, you know how this works, right? You plant a seed. You water it. If you're impatient like me, you're out there the very next day wondering, has anything grown yet? Has it grown? Slowly, over time, a tiny blade of green pops through the soil. Yes, finally, but we're going to eat corn tonight. Not so fast. There's still more to come. Then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. Jesus uses this agricultural parable to help us understand that this is how the kingdom grows. Yes, sometimes you may share the word of God and get an immediate response. But more often than not, it's going to work like this. Faithful, consistent, patient, sowing of the word of God, sleeping, trusting, trusting God's, wor God, God's word to work. Did I mention patient? It's a, a mysterious and a glorious process. You may have been sharing the good news of Jesus with your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker for years and not have seen any fruit. That doesn't mean that nothing's happening. If you just look at a seed, it doesn't look like anything's happening. But it is. The seed is working. Keep sowing the word of God, brothers and sisters. Keep faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Keep praying for God to do what only God can do in producing gospel fruit. See, the promise that we have from God about this truth. I love this text. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11, says this. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. It will accomplish what it's supposed to. There's nothing you can do to mess that up. Be faithful in speaking God's word wherever you are. The only way you can fail is to not do it at all, to cover up the lamp. Now, look at verse 29. Verse 29, back in Mark chapter 4, it says, But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. 
There's no harvest until the seed is ripe. God does everything in the right time when His Word has produced what it's supposed to. Isn't it so comforting to know that this is how God's kingdom works? The things that that you say and do, while they might seem absolutely insignificant, may have eternal significance. God uses men and women like you and me in the building of His kingdom. And that brings us to Jesus' third parable. Point number three, the mustard seed. Let's follow again the progression here. Jesus says that He, the lamp, is meant to be displayed. Okay, Jesus, how do we do that? Well, you you scatter seed, you sleep, you pray, you trust, be patient, let God work. Okay, Jesus, but if we do that, that's really not going to have much impact. We need to do something big, Jesus, to which Jesus says, verses 30 and 32, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Do you see it? Jesus is telling them something about the church and the kingdom and how it progresses in the world. Christ's visible church was to be small in its beginnings. So look at this. This, you probably can't even see it from there, but this is a mustard seed. The the mustard seed in Jewish understanding was a, a proverbial expression for something small and insignificant. Kind of how we might use the phrase, a drop in the bucket. Think about Jesus himself. Did he enter the world riding on a war horse as a dominant figure? No. He came as a baby, born in a manger in Bethlehem. Seemingly small and insignificant. We discussed this a couple weeks ago. Who were the first disciples or followers that Jesus gathered around him? Fishermen, unlearned, unpopular men who really had no influence over anyone. Seemingly small and insignificant. What was the the last act of the founder of our faith? Not taking the hill but dying on it. To the naked eye, seemingly small and insignificant. But look at what Jesus says about the mustard seed. Verse 32. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
Something that, that started so small can become something great. Mustard seeds are so small that, that birds could and often did swallow them. But when they're, they're sown, they grow so large that they actually give shelter and shade to the same birds that could have eaten them earlier. Think about Saul of Tarsus here. At one point, his life was dedicated to eating these seeds, the seeds of the kingdom. Yet, he would one day come to take shelter under their branches. Think about the story of Christianity as a whole. It started small, then began to grow on the day of Pentecost. It went out. Again, remember, it went out by normal Christians scattering the word. It expanded from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's the deal. The visible church of God, the kingdom, it's not done growing. God's still using people like you and like me. Mustard seeds, seemingly small and insignificant, to grow giant trees. And I almost forgot. There's a prophecy in Daniel chapter 4 that Jesus seems to be working off of here in this parable. Look at this vision. Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Do you see it? God is doing a work of global scale from seemingly small and insignificant beginnings. Never despise the day of small things, as Zechariah 4.10 says. That small conversation you had with your friend or your co-worker, boss or neighbor, where you shared God's word, mustard seeds. The small way you served your neighbor by buying them groceries and speaking Jesus' name, mustard seeds. Everything matters. There's no small work when you're scattering God's word. God can use the smallest words that we speak. He can use the smallest actions that we do. And He can build His kingdom. So, what about you this morning? If you're a Christian, what are you doing with the light that's been given to you? Are you putting it on a lampstand? Or are you hiding it under a basket? Are you patiently trusting God's work, the power of His Word? Do you believe that seemingly small and insignificant things can change the world? 
Finally, if you're not a Christian, if you're a bird who's been accustomed to eating the seed, we want you to know that Jesus has a home for you, a place of shelter and of shade, a place that you can rest. That place is Jesus himself. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life that none of us have. He died on a cross, the death that each and every one of us deserve. He was buried, just like the seeds that we've been discussing today. But death couldn't hold him. He sprouted from the grave, overcoming sin, Satan, and death. And he did it for all of those who would turn from sin and trust in him. Everything he accomplished is ours when we follow him as our Lord and Savior. We invite you to make that decision today. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. He's good and faithful and loving. He's the light of the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these parables that allow us to better understand your kingdom and your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us light. You have opened our eyes and you have opened our ears. You have spoken truth to us. Lord, you have given life to our dead hearts. Lord, we pray that we would respond to that by shining your light for all to see. That when people see the way that we live, when people hear the words that we speak, your words, that they would better understand who you are. Lord, help us to have trust in your word. That we might sleep and that you might do something with the seed that was scattered. Help us to trust your process. That seemingly small and insignificant things might produce great trees through the power of your Spirit. Lord, we thank you so much for the good news. The good news that we can have eternal life with you through turning from our sin and trusting in you. Thank you for all that you've given us. Give us ears to hear this truth this morning and hands and feet that might apply it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.